Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class every Wednesday evening, posted at 6.30, which is our regular time for Wednesday night Bible classes at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. But we know that there are people who cannot be with us in person, even in the Omaha area, because of various reasons, work schedules, sickness, uh, hindrances as far as transportation is concerned, and the list could go on. But we know that other people are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world, and so we're thankful that we have the ability and the means and the opportunity to be able to spread God's word on such a wide base, uh, at such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet by these podcasts. We're thankful that you're listening. We pray that this study together will be a great blessing for you. And we also encourage you to make it a great blessing for other people in your life. You know many, probably, who need to change their thinking, their focus in life. They need to start thinking about their relationship with God and about their soul's salvation and eternity because it's coming. So share these studies with them, with everybody you can with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can on a regular basis, every week. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, but you may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today. We also encourage you to tell everybody you can about our website, churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and tell them that they can scroll down to the podcast link and they can click on that and sign up for our podcasting. And then they will receive not only the Wednesday night Bible class, but also Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and all of our regular Monday through Friday Uh, radio programs, Search the Scriptures. And what I think is a really wonderful daily Bible study, just about 13 minutes long every day, seven days a week, that we call today's Bible class. All of this gets people into God's Word. And again, you can help somebody turn their life around. Now, it is free. We keep emphasizing we don't charge people to teach them God's Word. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. So it will always be free. And at our website, churchofchrist.com, people can download and listen to hundreds of sermons. And a great many of those are now posted in video format as well as audio. But also, they can download and read through hundreds of scripturally based and spiritually focused articles. So they can study through those on their own. And again, all of that is there for free. Tremendous, tremendous Bible study resource material. Help people take advantage of it. We want to get back into our study of Second Peter. We're quickly coming toward the end of this study. And uh, we also, before we do that, I want to, if you're in the Omaha area, I want to let you know again, about the time of our services and our location. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. 
And Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evening worship is at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening. And right in the middle of the week, a good time to stop and get our spiritual batteries recharged, so to speak, we come back together each Wednesday evening at 6.30 in the evening for midweek Bible classes. Now, you're welcome to any and all of these services if you're in the Omaha area or traveling through. We'd love to meet you, get to know you better, let you get to know us better. So come and check us out. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we are going to look at verse 8 today. We have been going through these two letters from the Apostle Peter, inspired letters, guided him, he being guided by God to write this very word of God in, these, in the form of these two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Rich, rich, rich material, and so important for our personal instruction as individuals, but also more focused as individual Christians. And of course, as we take this in as individual Christians, it has tremendous application to the church, to each congregation of the Lord's church of which we might be a a part or a member. Now we've looked at the first seven verses of 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're probably going to spend a great deal of time on verse 8. And here the apostle Peter says, now in those first seven verses, He's dealing with people whom he calls scoffers, scoffers. We may not use that term too often, but we can understand when it is put into a context of of, uh, either writing or a conversation, people scoff at this or they scoff at that person when he says such and such. Well, we understand there it's ridicule or it's putting down or it's demeaning in some way. Maybe just saying, I don't believe what you're saying. Oh, you're just full of baloney. You know, more common expressions than maybe the use of the word scoff or scoffed at. Well, Peter's been dealing in the first seven verses with scoffers when it comes to the point of their believing in Jesus coming back again on a final day of judgment to judge all mankind. Now, it could be that Peter was saying, These folks had been followers of Christ, supposedly. And when Jesus said that he's coming again, remember when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that we are to partake of it properly and until he comes again. Every time, every Sunday, first day of the week, as the church comes together to worship God, we partake of the Lord's Supper And in that action, in that remembrance of Jesus going to the cross, we're not only remembering him and commemorating his sacrifice on that cross, his death on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, but we're also telling people he's coming back. We're doing this until he comes again. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes that down. And, and so we need to, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so we need to understand the importance of the supper and also its message to the people out there, he's coming back. This is what he did for us. He's our savior and he's coming back on that day when he's going to judge all mankind and this God is going to destroy this world as we know it with fire. Now, Peter gets into that a little later in this, in this third chapter, but people need to understand. And so 
he's dealt with scoffers. Now, maybe some of these had believed in Jesus. Maybe they'd been baptized into him for the remission of their sins, become Christians. But then over a period of a decade or two, they, they say, hey, well, what's going on? You know, the sun comes up every morning, the sun sets every evening, everything just keeps going on year after year. Yeah, they're scoffing. You say he's coming back. We don't see it. We don't see the evidence. Well, Peter gets into reasoning that should help them in their faith in Christ in this eighth verse. Now, and, and also verse nine. But again, probably a whole lot of these who were scoffers were not believers in Jesus. And a lot of them might have been Jewish people who rejected Jesus as the Savior from the outset, and, uh, but they knew some of the teachings. He's coming back. He arose from the grave. He's coming back, coming back to judge mankind. And so they're saying, hey, hadn't come back yet. Year goes by, another year goes by, five years go by, decade goes by, another decade goes by. Where is he? Well, you see, again, as human beings, we have a really tough time with the whole principle and concept of eternity. Intellectually, we can, we can absorb it. We can say, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I understand eternity. Time without end. Uh, on and on and on and on and on without end. But we have a really tough time really putting that into an application kind of form in our lives, in our belief system, because we, in our physical bodies, are not eternal. We are mortal. We die physically. We're born physically. We die physically. We come to life at a particular point in history through birth, and we die and cease to exist physically at a particular point in history. And so when you're talking about eternity, on and on and on, time without end, that's, that's we say, okay, I got it intellectually, but do we really get it fully and emotionally and by way of application? You know, I, I can remember when I was studying math in high school and you come to some of those computations and you come out, okay, here is the particular number, the answer, and then you have point three, 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 three. Well, how far does that go? You say on into eternity. It keeps coming another three, another three, another three, another three. Now, some numbers come to a final end, but there are some of those who just keep on going. And so you say, on into eternity. Yeah, it, okay, never stops. So again, mentally, intellectually, we can grasp that, but we still have a hard time with the application actually, the actual application. And people have a tough time when it comes to faith in God when you're talking about the eternal nature of God and the eternal nature of God's view of things, his existence and his eternal plan for mankind. So Peter, he's addressing these scoffers. Oh, they scoffed at the idea. Jesus is coming back. When? When? Yeah, again, we, we want to know timelines. We want to know uh, beginnings and endings. 
but we're talking about eternity. We're talking about divinity that is eternal. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But in verse 8, well, let's go back to verse, uh, go back to verse 5 and kind of bring the context together before we get into verse 8. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, going back to Genesis chapter 1, first few verses, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water, going on to Genesis chapter, chapter 6, uh, chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, the flood in Noah's day, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Okay, the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, God brought humanity to an end, except for the family of Noah in the days of the flood, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, God has said, I won't destroy the world by water again, but this planet is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So God has said, the next time when I have to destroy the world, it's going to be with fire, not with water. And the rainbow in the sky is a symbol of God's promise that he will not destroy the world with water again. I'm afraid that we have corrupted that symbol in some part of our culture today, but we see that hanging in the sky that should remind us that we can have faith in God because he has promised he will not destroy the world with water again. But he has said, and this should be an alert for us, he has said, I will destroy the world through fire, now, why did he destroy the world with water? God is not a capricious God. God is not someone that, that we shake our heads and, you know, or scratch our heads and, and shake our heads and, and, and kind of squint our eyes and, and, you know, why did he do that? Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Well, no, God knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. He destroyed humanity in the days of Noah because... The text tells us that the intents and thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continually. In fact, if you read that context of Scripture, it talks about that and emphasizes the wickedness, the, the complete wickedness of mankind three or four times in just a few verses. And that's why he destroyed humanity and the world at that time through the flood. Now, the exception to that wickedness was Noah and his family. And so God spared humanity through that one family, Noah, his wife, three sons, and three daughters-in-law. Now, the next time God destroys this world, again, it's going to be, going to be because of the wickedness, the evil, the sinfulness, the unrighteousness, the ungodliness, the lack of faith in God, by humanity, pretty much as a whole. Let me tell you, that should be an alert. Now again, Peter's going to start talking about that in verse 10 of this third chapter of Second Peter. But Jesus talked about that during his ministry here on this earth. And that is a fact that is going to happen. Now, we could look at the Revelation. Also, it talks about that. But see, why should I say 
that should be an alert for us. We should always be ready, always be ready. Jesus talks about that. Either he's going to come back while we're still alive, or we're going to die physically and meet our Lord. And we're going to have to give account for how we've lived our life in this world. But the wickedness of mankind was so absolute in the days of Noah that the text tells us that God was sorry that he had made man. That's how bad mankind had become. Well, look around us right now. Look around us right now. How bad is mankind becoming today? Wickedness, evil, rejection of God's word? Even in our nation, which has remained something of a bastion of faith in God and Christianity, when you look at it in the broad-based perspective or from the broad-based perspective of all those who would call themselves Christians, even here, the number of people who are, who are saying, I don't believe in God, is growing. And those who are saying, or those who are living a life of, of consistent faithfulness to God, including believing in his word to be truly his word, and believing in God absolutely, and worshiping him with the church on a consistent weekly basis, that number is, is dropping and I would say dropping dramatically. And look at all the evil and the wickedness and the ungodliness, the sinfulness that's all around us throughout the world. And we could look at it and say, because we live here, especially in our country, the day of the Lord is coming. We cannot continue to live as humanity as a whole in continual ungodliness and expect everything to be okay. Expect God to not step in and bring judgment upon us. In verse 7, the heavens of the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved, preserved by the same word. God says, I'm not going to destroy the world with water again, but they are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So that final day of judgment is coming. Now, verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, here's Peter's answer to the scoffers who say, hey, ha, the Lord's coming again? When? When? We've been waiting for however many years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, hey, still hasn't come. Everything's still going on normally, as it always does. And Peter says, look, you're talking about divinity. You're talking about God. You're talking about the eternal nature of God. And time has no meaning with God as we view time. Again, we set our alarm clock to wake up at a certain time. We live our life for, for eight or 12 hours or, or, 
or maybe 14 hours during the day or maybe a little bit longer, 16, and we go to bed at night, we you know, set the alarm again, we wake up. So we, we understand beginnings and ends. We see the seasons come, the seasons go, the years tick off the calendar. But with God, there's none of that, none of that reckoning of time. And so Peter says, with God, you need to remember, don't forget, you're talking about God, the eternal nature of God. And with God, he's not saying that you count off a thousand years and that equals one day with God. He's just using a number, a number that would be impressive as those people would hear it and see it written and think about it, yeah, 1,000 years are like a day to God. Well, Peter could have said 10,000 years are like a day, or a million years are like a day. Because again, we're talking about God without time, without time. We can look at a number of passages of Scripture, and this is not going to be all of them by any means. But notice in Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains brought, were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, in other words, before God created anything in this world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. Now, again, we're talking about the eternal nature of God from everlasting to everlasting. Now, what does that mean? Time without beginning, time without ending. As I said, you know, when you're doing math and you come to some of those equations and you come up with a number like 0.3333333, we say, okay, yeah, it goes on and on into eternity. We can have some mental idea of time without end. It just keeps going. So you say it never stops. But God is not eternal only in the sense of time without end. He is also, in the, he is also in turn, eternal in the sense of time without beginning. Now that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around. And yet the psalmist says there, from everlasting to everlasting. When you think about it from those two perspectives, not only time without end, but time without beginning, God has always been, always been. And he created us with a soul that even though we were born physically, and at that point, or maybe even in the mother's womb, God already had instilled that soul within us. We still had a beginning there, but he gave us that soul so that we could be with him forever, time without ending. But God was there time without beginning as well, and so was Christ. So was the Holy Spirit. We can look at a number of other passages of scripture that 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 point to the eternal nature of God. We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27. And here, 
the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Interesting, isn't it? Again, the same understanding. The same understanding. Isaiah 63 and verse 16. And here the prophet Isaiah talks about the eternal nature of God. Doubtless you are of your father. Or you, I'm sorry, doubtless you are our father, speaking of God, though Abraham was ignorant of us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer. From everlasting is your name. From everlasting. Before time began, God was there. We go back to the Psalms, and we could look at some, some other psalmists who wrote the same thing about the eternal nature of God. If we go back to Psalm 41, Psalm 41, and we'll read verse 13. Yeah, if I can get my pages turned. Psalm 41 in verse 13. And here again, the psalmist writes, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. We already looked at Psalm 90 and verse 2, and also Psalm 90 and verse 4. But let's move ahead a little bit to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, and we'll look at verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children from everlasting to everlasting again. Psalm 106 and verse 48. And again, notice the language. Psalm 106 and verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let, the pe let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And we could look at a number of other passages that say the same thing, in essence, pointing to the eternal nature of God and eternal to the extent that we're talking about not only time without end, but we're also talking about time without beginning. God always was, God is, and God will always be. And so Peter emphasizes that point. You're wondering why the Lord hasn't come back yet? Do you understand the eternal nature of God? With God, there is no time as we consider time. God is everlasting. God is eternal. And so you cannot measure his timeline in, by, by our understanding of timelines. We are finite. We are mortal. We have, from a physical perspective, beginnings and endings. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And then Peter goes on and he makes this point, and we'll deal with this more next time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. That is, he's patient with us while we're still alive in this world, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. In other words, you're scoffing because the Lord hasn't come back yet on that final day of judgment? Understand this, God is giving you time. He's exhibiting his patience as a loving God, 
giving you time to repent and come to him through Jesus as your savior for forgiveness and redemption and, and salvation and eternal life that goes therewith. We'll look at verse 9 more next time and look at uh, some of the other texts of Scripture that emphasize this same point of God's patience with us. And we again, when you couple this with what he has said in verse 8, God has his own timeline, and it's not our timeline. But think about why he destroyed the world in the days of Noah. He's not going to do that again through the flood, but he has reserved the earth and the world for destruction again through fire, judgment again. Now, he's giving us time. He's patient with us to give us the opportunity to come to our understanding of our need to repent and come to him through his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to pay attention. We need to not be arrogant, and we need to not be careless in our understanding of our need to come to God and of his giving us time to do so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for being patient with us and giving us the time to come to our understanding that we need to repent and come to you through Jesus. Please help us to do that. Help us to come to a clear understanding of that need in our lives and that need to walk with you consistently through the rest of our lives. And please open other people's eyes to stop scoffing just because the days keep passing while we're still alive on this earth, but help them to see that our time is running out. Help them to humble themselves before you through obedience, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.